Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good afternoon, good evening, welcome to episode 41 of Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill. Um, I haven't said it in a while because it seems almost obsolete, but I am the singer of a band called Primordial uh, and a few other bits and pieces, bits and musical pieces, in case you somehow have stumbled upon my podcast and not known who I am or who I was. Well, here we are. Episode 41. It's time for me, my friends, to start collecting some debts. And I don't really want to, but... Well, we'll leave them for a while and let's see what happens. But certainly, if you've been following the podcast or binging back through the episodes, you'll find that um, I pretty much predicted... Well, predicted is maybe not the right word. I suppose my natural inclination towards crushing pessimism and negativity well, some of the time, informed my decision or my opinion that we were going to be pretty much in the position where we are in relation to the situation, the emergency, as they would say in the past here. And it is now coming up on almost a year. And indeed, the people who sort of mocked or laughed my uh, pessimism at the situation, maybe in the summer, who I made a few little bets with, uh, well, it's now time to pay up because we are approaching, I suppose, a line in the sand for me was Patrick's Day, March the 17th. Um, we missed it last year. Never meant a hell of a lot to me, but, you know, the smallest, the small country sitting in the middle of the Atlantic had inspired this massive celebration throughout the world. Um, whether you approved of its stereotypical 
example of Irish drunken hedonism or not. Don't culturally appropriate us, don't you know? Well, the line in the sand was next Paddy's Day, and slowly it approaches. There were people I had bets on about January, February, March, and all the way through the summer. So, looks like I'm going to have a few more uh, euros to not be able to spend on anything, as we in Ireland here are in um, level five of lockdown. I think this makes us at least in the top five, perhaps perhaps the top one or two um, countries that have spent the longest time in lockdown. So maybe we can compile some sort of top 10 of that in a decade. Maybe we've dropped down to sixth or seventh in 2038 or something like this. Anyway, anyway, anyway. I hope you enjoyed the interview, the last episode with Anton from um, Pentagram. Um, of course, I spelt his name, or rather I said his name incorrectly in the first moment I introduced him. Reisenegger, not Reisiger. Um, I don't know what I was doing with that. But Anton um, was a very interesting guest. And if you haven't listened to that one, you should go back and look at it on the video cast. Um, talking about life under Chile's Pinochet and growing up under a dictatorship, which I thought was a pretty prescient conversation to have considering some of the things that may or may not be happening right now. If you want to follow me on Patreon and support the show, it's patreon.com slash Alan Aver with two capital A's. Um, I do bonus podcasts. There's demos, other songs, this, that and the other. All sorts of things. So go over there if you wish to support me and the show. Well, so this one, this episode is going to be a bit of a ramble. Um, I'm going to try and tackle a little bit of the Great Reset because I notice it's literally everywhere now. Everybody is discussing it. And it's something I was aware of half a year ago, eight, nine months ago already. And I've sort of watched it bloom, the conversation about it bloom or, you know, or at least the fruit, the low-hanging rotten fruit now is bearing, is being able to be picked by people. And I'm going to try and hold the line between what I see as the more extreme elements of either side that view it, whether they are conspiracy theory people on one side or the people who utterly dismiss it on the other. Um, the truth most probably lies somewhere in the middle, as I feel most things do within the grey area between the black and white opinions of the world, because that's where most things are. Um, and on this on this example, on this situation, I think that's also where some of the truth is. So it's not going to be the most complicated uh, dissection of all of the all of the aims, all of the terms of these of the reset. It's going to be for maybe a little look at what's surrounding the noise on either side, why we tend to believe what we believe, um, how we've been become so fractured as a society, that kind of thing. But Firstly, a few things. P please, please um, stop sending me pictures of gigs in New Zealand. Uh, I know. I know. Well done, New Zealand. Um, but I, I, last week I was inundated with so many pictures of um, shows in New Zealand. I know what people were trying to do. They were trying to sort of G me up a little bit, cheer me up a little bit. And I do appreciate that. But I do have to say unfortunately, to um, hold a little pin to your bubble, that New Zealand is probably the most geographically isolated uh, country in the world. And so comparing New Zealand 
to, for example, a Europe of 457 million people, is it? Or 447, uh, with 32 member states and however many borders and airports and people flying in and out. I mean, look, it's not really comparable. Um, I understand what people were trying to do. And fair enough, I appreciate that. Ireland, of course, could have maybe tried to do something a little similar, but then we would need a time machine to go back to the beginning of this. And the fact that we only really asked people who were landing in Ireland, do they or don't they have a negative test in the last three, four weeks, seems to me to be a little bit insane. Why you wouldn't have asked that months and months and months ago, I don't know. However... Here we are. Please stop sending me pictures of gigs in New Zealand, especially when the leaders here in Ireland are making noises, dropping media clangers or some media signposts or whatever you want to call it. There's a little bit of um, sabre rattling going on, I suppose, when our leader sort of says, oh, be careful what you wish for or you'll be in a form of this until next Christmas. And of course, people then lose their minds about that. So we veer, we veer back and forward between being um, scared by the by the intentions of our um, elected elite to hold us in this position for six, nine, 12 months, perhaps indefinitely, um, that that's going to be a discussion I'm going to come to. Or we get angry at our own people for um, their own indiscretions. And yes, some of them deserved, some of them deserved, and others not. Because if you put it in the context of people having literally no life for the last 12 months, well, you can understand that people are at breaking point. Certainly in my own life, um, this has been one of the most difficult months to cope with. January in Ireland is a particularly gloomy, depressing month. It's generally very rainy, very grey, you know, lots of swirling winds coming, sweeping through the city. It's certainly not... Um, a beautiful winter month. And it's certainly, if you're living in the Antipodes or something where you're going through your summer months, if I haven't been incorrect in saying that, um, enjoy them. Enjoy it because a little bit of sunshine might make this all a little bit easier. But no, Dublin is a grey, grey month to be dealing with all of this um, in a January. And it's been a particularly gloomy one because I think people are just sort of broken with an endless cycle of bad news. And... Part of that is clear that um, in a post-Trump world, to gain clicks for the media, they're going to have to think of new ways to um, move clickbait, to move marketing, to move numbers. Um, and certainly, um, if it bleeds, it leads, is part of the traditional media mantra, i.e. disaster journalism or disaster stories or disastrous predictions are things that move more headlines, move more papers, um, put more eyes on whatever it is they're trying to sell. So in that sense, the media and the state are in this endless cycle of predicting misery. And I think it's really, really, really worn people down. And also, you know, as a musician, when you hear things like your politicians saying that, well, be careful what you wish for, or you'll have some sort of mandatory mandatory quarantine and um, elements of lockdown for another, you know, for talking about the whole rest of the year. Well, then it's clear then, of course, you won't have any gigs. You won't have any shows of any kind. No, I understand that most people, as I said before, couldn't really give a shit about the arts. It's pretty clear that that is very, very true. 
statements like that make you realize that it's not even a consideration that all of the things that were in our budget here, which were a sop to the arts to kind of let it seem like anyone gave a shit about it, um, mean pretty much nothing. And that um, unless we move backwards out of lockdown, then none of these things happen. But I know you're tired of me saying the same things, a bit bored of me going over the same tropes. And, you know, I am too. I'm bored of banging the drum. Um, it's kind of like a taxi driver said to me, he goes, you now live under communist country. You know this. Um, his voice is a little bit higher than Victor, my other alter ego. Uh, you now live in communist country. I cannot believe Ireland uh, people behave like this. I said, where are you from? Uh, Romania. I said, ah, a country I've been in many, many times. Yeah, I, I live there. You know, I grew up under Ceausescu the bastard. I said, yeah. He was quite the bastard, wasn't he? And he goes, and now we're living again in communist country. But even in communist country, we were able to have a, a beer, you know? And I said, yes, my friend. I don't know what to tell you, because every time I step or sit in a cab with um, a taxi driver of Eastern European or Middle Eastern origin, they say more or less the same thing to me. They say, these are part of the reasons why we came to your country to get away from. <laughs> And here we are, and you guys have almost welcomed many of the same rules. Now, I understand, as I've been talking about many times before, for Irish people, that will sit uneasily with them because they don't really observe things like this. As I've said many times on the podcast before, is that it can not only be a health crisis, but also a civil liberties crisis or um, a crisis of sovereignty of freedoms, of all of these things. It can be both things at the same time. The idea that they're mutually exclusive, that one can only argue from the position of hospital beds being taken up and not listen to a concern about civil liberty is incongruous to me. You can be concerned about both. And as I said before, the fact that I talk about more of the things, um, obviously, that interest me on the podcast, which are the liberties, freedoms, um, the, you know, all of the geopolitics, that's what interests me. If I was doing a podcast on nursing, for example, then I'm sure it would, you know, focus on some of the some of the things that are happening in the nursing sector right now. But I don't. I do a podcast called Agitators Anonymous. It's kind of implied in the name. Anyway, so my taxi driver, he said to me, he says to me, I do not see any way out of this. And we were joking and he was joking about the fact that he maybe returns. He maybe will return to Romania. He observed that he feels that maybe in nine or 12 months, Romania might be a freer place to be. Um, he said to me, he saved up. I said, I've saved some money in Ireland, you know. Um, he's becoming a little bit non-Eastern there in the accent. But he was saying um, that his intention now is maybe to go back to Eastern Europe because um, if this is the way Ireland has set out its stall, that he can't live like this. And I understood what he meant because... Once you have set out your stall like this to deal with a situation, then how do you ever not deal with another situation in the same way? For example, another strain, another variant, all of these things. How do you not do the same thing? Because then that would seem inhumane on some level because you've set out your stall to deal with this in the beginning. So I should do a little first ad read, which is um, for Hate Couture www.hatcouture616.com um, Hateful yet tasteful apparel and clothing, all sorts of nasty things there. The veneration of tyrants and the veneration of serial killers and all sorts of stuff like this that will upset 
your nearest and dearest. And if you use the promo code AA podcast, you'll get free shipping. Um, and I know quite a few people who've ordered things from them and have been, you know, quite morbidly delighted with their with their purchases. Let's try and discuss a few more serious things. Now, as I said, you've probably noticed that there's a lot of talk about this great reset. And either side, I get the impression that either side of the debate, um, one is maybe not taking it seriously enough and another side is taking it too seriously. Now, why is that? Um, I mean, let's discuss before we get into some of the details of it. Like I said, this is not going to be a history lesson on what's been happening in Davos, um, which is a small town in Switzerland, by the way. Then this year marks the 50th anniversary of the World Economic Forum's meeting there. Um, a place where I suppose the 1%, we could call them, or you know, industry movers, leaders of state, leaders of country, technological innovators, industrialists, all these kind of people meet. And you can pay to sit in the crowd and listen. In fact, it's happening right now. And there are on YouTube Zoom videos of some of their conference calls. So the idea first off the bat that it's a conspiracy theory, uh, I think is obviously wrong because it's very much out there in the open. Um, they have their own YouTube channel. You just put in the Great Reset and you get the World Economic Forum and they're explaining their ideals. Um, and some of them sound incredibly altruistic and benign. Their website is sort of like a breezy, almost, it feels like almost like an advertisement for uh, some yoga hub or something. It's very bright and breezy, full of smiling, happy people and pop-ups of this and that. And it gives very little detail, very little meat, very little information on something that theoretically could impact every single person on the planet. So you think there might be some more meat to the bones or at least some debate or argument of the processes for normal people who might read this but there isn't really it's like i said it's like signing up for the yoga hub around the corner to go and do hot yoga and you know some slam poetry following it's very bright and breezy which of course adds fuel and fire to both sides of the argument and that's one of the things i want to sort of think about before i go a little bit further and that is the idea that our trust in institutions has been almost completely destroyed. Now, why is that? I've said this on the podcast several times. I think we're at the end of a 10-year cycle of social media derangement. We've become unhinged, deranged from um, our shared observations of society, our shared observations of even truth. Everything has become objective. We can see we've been shown on the news with our, um, we've been shown on the news um, s footage of cities burning and people standing in front telling us, well, nothing to see here, nothing happening, peaceful protest, etc. Just as an example off the top of my head, and there are many from either side. The idea that we have a shared truth that once upon a time we sat down maybe with uh, the family and watched the news and the news was impartial to a point. Um, it's completely gone. We're all absolutely played by our algorithm, whether we like it or not. And so therefore, if you keep everybody inside for a whole year, is it really surprising that the middle ground of their objectivity, of their rationality, of their reason becomes utterly destroyed or almost completely destroyed? And I feel it even within myself as somebody who prizes rationality and reason over emotional observations of situations it's been very hard to hold the line when 
or every day is almost like Groundhog Day, where you are isolated, you know, where you are kept inside, which, by the way, seems to contravene elements of the Geneva Convention on Human Rights. But however, that's another thing altogether. When you have no other contact with people other than what you have at the end of a screen, of course, the algorithm forces you into channels and corrals your anger and outrage and isolation and feelings of anxiety and fear into these small cesspools whereby um, your confirmation bias is just regurgitated towards you. Um, I see it in my own algorithm, the things that it suggests to me. I know that uh, I will go down a YouTube wormhole and end up being more angry than I was before and also feeling more helpless and hopeless than before. So therefore, the idea that, and people have to realise this, is that an awful lot of people believe in angels. Plenty of people believe in angels. Plenty of people believe in uh, things that are absolutely unscientific, that we know to be unscientific truths, but they believe them. They're the things they believe. Um, they're believies, whatever you want to call it. And the idea that the newly formed, let's call it academic intellectual arm of modern society, um, who I think um, reside mostly on the left, but not only, who view the working class essentially with contempt. Uh, this divide has given rise to elements of populism in modern society. And that's one of the things I want to try and try and get at and lever at is the idea that the populism that was displayed um, that got a person like, you know, a circus entertainer like Trump where he was is partially or almost, well, maybe not partially, maybe greater than partially, dependent on this schism in modern society, this uh, this idea that we have no shared truths or not, we have no um, shared vision of society. And so the, pop, the populism rushes in to fill the gaps, the God of the gaps, as they say. And so therefore, something like the Great Reset, which comes along, is almost perfect for either side to jump on and say, Look, this is the example of all of the things that are happening. And the other side goes, Pah, it's just nonsense because of the fact that the words themselves, conspiracy theory. What does that mean? I mean, you know, what does conspiracy theory mean? The idea that thousands of people could, for example, keep the truth about a moon landing quiet for 50 years. Uh, could that be real? And then someone doing only research at the end of a screen could find the truth. Uh, I think that one of the problems with all of this is that a globalist plot would, would require so many working parts that the mind boggles. Um, is that even possible? I don't really think it is. So the idea that there are not the venture, venture capitalists, or let's call them disaster capitalists, who are not benefiting from this. I mean, it's clear that a massive transfer of wealth has been moving towards the 1% of people. They have made an incredible amount of money out of this lockdown, out of this situation and will continue to do so. And for someone like me who is concerned with issues like freedom and liberty, the idea that it's only a cash grab would be um, would set me more at ease because that's what it was in 2008 with the refinancing of the bike, the banks, the bikes, the banks and all that kind of thing. The idea that it's only that would be somehow comforting.
on some level. Now, as I said, this podcast is going to be a bit rambling, a bit all over the place, because that's where my mind is at the moment. Um, trying to be particularly focused and have some, you know, complex scripts written to explain all this kind of thing is just sort of beyond my mental state at the moment. So you'll have to accept that this is just prime, uh, a prime slice of Averill ramble. And not to forget that I'm a singer in a heavy metal band, whatever else. So the thing about it is, is that to expect people to have not jumped ship from the middle ground uh, and embraced either side of this um, polarized debate, if you lock them down for 12 months and give them no access to uh, conversations outside of those that they have on a screen, it's hardly surprising, really, that we believe in um, some of the further fringes of this debate. So where does that leave something like where does that leave something like the Great Reset? Well, I mean, you can do your own research into who they are, where it's from. But the main guy is called Klaus Schwab. He's an 83 year old German industrialist. Um, and this is the 50th anniversary of his little shindig in the uh, mountains of Switzerland. And like I said, you can easily find their website, their YouTube page. And some of it looks perfectly fine to me. Some, of course. And so therefore, the idea on some elements of, I suppose, the left of journalism, that this is a conspiracy theory, uh, I, I don't think really makes sense because the idea of a conspiracy theory itself is that something, I suppose, that is fundamentally hidden. Uh, well, it certainly isn't. And on face value, to be reasonable, it suggests the model of um, outlaw capitalism is unsustainable for a world where the population has increased threefold in 90 years. I don't think we could argue about that. How, influ how influential it is, um, is overplayed by some, underplayed by others. And again, I consider the, the, the grey area to probably be where most people reside. But you can see um, they are an unelected uh, elite, an unelected group of people who are deciding the fate um, or are purported to be deciding the fate of millions of people. But there are just so many things that just feel to me like not reading the room, so to speak. So if you take something like, um, go and look at the videos of, of The Great Reset and you'll find you're being lectured by Prince Charles. Prince Charles. The Prince. Machiavelli, the Prince, indeed. But um, the monarchy lecturing working class or normal people about how their lives will be is just so such an example of um, not being able to read the room of modern society by reading the room I mean judging the temperature of the public because what that is essentially saying is oh do you mind if we return you to the feudal serfdom of the 16th century or something like this where the monarchy was um, well king the monarchy ruled all I mean, it's such an incredibly strange thing to be lectured by for, you know, normal people in their hundreds of millions who are going to be affected this for 42 million jobless people in the USA um, who who are in this position because of lockdown um, to then read the, um, you know, to then read the terms of the reset who are saying uh, this represents a great opportunity to reset this, that and the other. And you're kind of going, OK, so. You have the monarchy lecturing tens of millions of people who are newly unemployed 
about what a great opportunity this is. And it just, it cannot help but break your brain in two because it's such an incredible disconnect. But how could it be any different in 2021, in 2020? Um, we live in a world where um, we no longer are able to sense make. We're nothing, we don't really know what is um, fake, what is real, what is wherever or whatever. And how can we if all we're doing is sitting inside in front of a screen? So our second ad read is metalblade.com. If you're in North America, use the promo code AA podcast and you will get 10% off. Um, yeah, simple as that. You can order the new Dread Sovereign album. You can order the back catalog of Primordial and many, many other heavy metal luminaries from the last 40 years. Yep, check it out. Do that. The problem is, of course, that right now in all of our member states, they're dealing um, or fumbling in the dark through a health crisis, which seems at least to give people little leadership or there are no lines in the sand which say when we get to this percentage of this, then we move backwards to give you your freedom or we move back through the gears of lockdown. There is so little let's call it mathematical leadership in the sense that there are no numbers involved in here's the moment where you return to this element of the life that you had before. And in that lack of leadership, let's call it, of course, things rush in to fill the vacuum. And so for people who are um, uh, conspiracy theorists, what the Great Reset is hiding is, well, or rather not hiding because it's out in plain sight, is the idea of biometric health passports linked to your travel, um, that somehow lockdown will just not end, that it will just continuously roll and move into an environmental lockdown, which will be linked to a carbon footprint, um, basically um, a form of imposed remote living. And it will be issued to us under the terms of an environmental crisis. Now, that seems rather extreme, but then you listen to the rhetoric of many politicians um, you can watch on YouTube Greta Thunberg lecturing the people of the World Economic Forum. And you think to yourself, well, could there be some truth in that? Could this just end up being an endless rolling lockdown? And certainly the people who didn't believe so in the first month or two when it happened are now beginning to join the conversation after a year. Could that be possible that we just we, this morphs into an environmental lockdown? Um, of course, observationally, um, locking down Ireland, Ireland's carbon footprint, if you want to say that, is nothing compared to the industry in India or China or whatever else. And so fixing the problem by locking down the whole of Denmark in the grand scheme of things for the world doesn't really do very much, I suppose, at least to me. But what we have definitely seen is a pause in democracy, um, a suspension of civil liberty in order uh, to implement measures of health and safety. So the idea is do do the public accept that they have less freedom because but more safety they discuss the fourth revolution um which again has been written about for a couple of years uh, and this is the coming of automation and ai and of course if you link these things together if automation is going to take many many working class jobs wouldn't you place all those people on a form of universal basic income so then you begin to connect the dots with that to your own situation and then it becomes um, a little bit more well less conspiratorial but pretty dark on some level I, I, it 
feels like that to me because essentially then you're moving into the idea where they say and they openly say on their forum they say you will own nothing and you will be happy almost like an order that you will be happy and you will own nothing so the idea that then you connect the dots and you think to yourself well okay so if how can we keep endlessly furloughing these small businesses um, like in Ireland to just endlessly furlough, furloughing these small businesses and where is this money come from and coming from and how is it paid back then maybe logically you think to yourself oh okay when they do open or open with the restrictions then there will be maybe some sort of debt forgiveness on the furlough money which will allow the relinquishing of property rights and this is where it all gets a bit squirrely because you will own nothing is a statement of the great reset and Obviously, property rights are one of the most important things that we've built our modern civilization on. From the moment indentured slaves worked off their slavery in the North Americas and um, rose to the um, role of po uh, politician, of um, rose through the ranks of politics, the idea that you owned, you know, man was the king of his castle, so to speak. The owning of property was one of the things that kept us rooted against the terms of, I suppose, uh, serfdom, a form of slavery. Because, and let's be kind of clear here now, and I hope I'm not being a little bit overdramatic, but every great tyranny begins with the confiscation of land, whether it's um, the pogroms, um, Jewish pogroms in Russia by the Bolsheviks to the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Um, this is how it begins, which is the confiscation of, of land and property. So, of course, this is going to set off alarm bells, naturally. Because the idea that if you own nothing, it's also quite a Marxist idea, which you can see reflected in the language of, for example, the Antifa, um, abolish all property. So then, of course, this is absolutely ripe for people to connect the dots and go, oh, is this a Marxist in insurrection of of, of modern society. Now, I don't believe that. I mean, I don't believe that. I do believe that there is obviously an economy there to be made, a disaster capitalism that is running amok through all of these, through all of this. But at the same time, but at the same time, that a statement like you will own nothing and you will be happy should send some form of shivers down the spine of people. But yet at the same, I keep saying the same time, but at the same time, if the terms of this reset are to be believed in their fullest capacity, what this essentially means is that, um, at least how I see it, is that the history of your nation state ceases to mean anything anymore. That small business that you worked for for 50 years is gone to be replaced by state-owned apparatus. Um, that your history, your language, your culture, your folklore are going to take a severe um, there's going to be severe challenges because uh, for me as a musician, you know, comedy, theater, gigs don't happen until lockdown goes back to zero. So if it doesn't go back to zero, then what do we get? Do we just get a state, a form of those, um, you know, state promoted North Korean style uh, operas or musicals for the public to enjoy? State sanctioned art? Obviously, I'm taking it to its dark conclusion, but is that really where it goes? So how can this be reflected all throughout Europe? How could you 
basically lock interminably up 457 million people and ask them to forget the previous life they had, to accept health and safety over democracy and civil liberties, to basically a form of remote living um, that is sold to them under the guise of environmentalism. Again, these are huge, huge questions. And watching the YouTube videos of the Great Reset on their channel, they aren't really explained. They're, they're really, their channels, their videos are talk, them talking amongst themselves. They're not really addressing you or I. And that's what's very confusing about the idea, about, the, about it all. So maybe that's partly what it is. It partly is theatre. It's part of a small bit of psychodrama between um, a bunch of very influential people. Then there's a few handshakes and deals done afterwards. And at the end of the wish list, eh, you get a few things that you wished for, but mostly you don't. And life goes back to a variation of what it was before. Is it? Is it a kind of more form of benign theatre than some people are considering? It's entirely possible, but it certainly embraces a sort of con a confusing voyeurism that's sort of dressed up in holistic self-help language that really doesn't answer any of the questions your average person has. But maybe it's not supposed to. Maybe it's just a smart bit of window dressing. Could be those things as well, right? As what's clear to me is that part of the populism that um, got a figure like Trump elected is going to rush in to fill the gap to oppose these sort of um, these rules and regulations, setting um, Western society up for potentially some form of massive conflict. Because the idea that you can sort of set out all of these rules and regulations in a in countries or an entire continent that has had such incredible history with conflict and war and internecine um, struggles, and then say to them, okay, by the way, this is how the world is now. In a year, we've turned it on its head. Um, the idea that that can just somehow be imposed on hundreds of millions of people and also have their jobs removed from them by AI um, and automation is will break your brain trying to con trying to consider how could that be possible? How can you tell the entire um, country of Italy, oh, by the way, all of your traditions are now, well, they're on the way to obsolescence and not expect some pushback. So therefore, is it just a talking shop? So you can see how things are quite ripe for people to, when they've been inside their houses for a year, with no end to that insight. You can see reading this literature, watching these YouTube videos, and the fact that they're so out in the open, and then they look outside and go, well, this does kind of look like how it looks. But then from the other side of things, as I try and hold the line between this, let's examine something else. Um, the Great Reset is um, the, late, the latest in addition of uh, a tradition, a Davos tradition. So you have Shaping the Post-Crisis World, 2009, Rethink, Redesign, Rebuild, 2010, The Great Transformation, 2012, Creating a Shared Future in a Fractured World, 2018. So you kind of get the idea, okay, so this is sort of the Davos smoke and mirrors. They do this every time there is some um, great problem in society. They rush to try and fill the gap with um, their new technological ideas and their hawkish ideas of, uh, I suppose, a form of venture capitalism. 
So is this just their latest blockbuster? Is this just their Die Hard 5 or Die Hard 6? It certainly follows in a tradition of grand and great statements or great installments, no doubt. But then you will read articles, for example, in The Guardian or something, calling the whole idea just complete implausible rubbish, um, which I think is, again, a step too far in the other direction. It's clear that this is to influence um, the, I suppose, to influence a post-pandemic world and rebuild it, restructure it. Um, how much of it is just a talking shop of ideas? It's very hard to say. But one thing is for sure, as I said, it's an unelected group of people who are um, making even theoretical decisions that impact you that, let's be clear, won't impact them. So the entire mess is brain breaking and confusing. And that's not your fault or my fault. Um, like I said, I'm not into conspiracy theory generally. I think that the truth is grey and it always will be. I think that the there are forms of singular human agency that can alter the direction of history that no one can foresee, whether it's, um, you know, the the driver of Archduke Ferdinand not being able to speak the same language and not understanding where to take him and driving back down the hill to allow Gabriella Princip another shot at um, Archduke Ferdinand. These small moments can shape history. So the idea that there is a huge umbrella of a global cabal manipulating everything um, is just too much for me to reconcile with because I think there are just too many moving parts mathematically to me it doesn't make sense now that is not to say there are massive agents of power and influence who can who can shift and move things and clearly are and then as I said the idea that you look outside and go oh well we've been isolated for from each other from uh, for 12 months and um, the idea that this is only a health crisis would seem to me to be a little bit naive because surely of course in the wake of every crisis there are people who take advantage of it. There are people who gain from it. And it's clear that that's also happening now. So there are so many people screaming into the void of trying to understand what the reset is. Now, I'm not going to, as I said, go through all the details of who the people are, the years, the this, the that, the other. You can go and look it up online who has attended and you'll probably find your own prime ministers have members of um, the biggest multinationals from your country or state have been there. Um, and also Bono from U2 has been there. I'm a bit disappointed I haven't been asked this year. Could have given my keynote address um, or, you know, talked about speed metal from Colombia from 1985 or something. But the idea, the idea that it is benign, which some um, people have written about, I think cannot be true because of the level of wealth that is there, the level of power that is there, that even if only 5% or 1% of the things they consider um, happen and they affect normal people, well, that is non-benign. So there is a kind of offhand dismissal by elements of this sort of academic or journalistic left, let's call them sometimes, maybe not the left, and because I, like I said, those terms mean little to me anymore. How I understood the old left and the old right don't really make sense in a modern landscape anymore. I think they're just um, almost completely arbitrary. But there's certainly an attempt by um, educated elements of society to just dismiss 
all of this as just conspiracy theory and to file it under QAnon and all of these other crazy things. Um, but that does this a disservice. I think that does this a, an intellectual disservice. And I think it's just more sort of pandering in a way to a form of anti-Trump rhetoric. The idea that, um, well, if any of the people who supported him believe any of this stuff, none of it can be right. But Epstein had an island, right? And this brings me to the third ad read, which is Lamentations of the Flame Princess. www.lotfp.com um, These are RPG, role-playing game books, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, really incredibly well-produced, incredible um, detail. The artwork is amazing. There's elements of um, traditional heavy metal storylines through them. Uh, guest authors, guest artists, really very impressive. I don't play RPGs, but maybe you do. If you do, go to www.lotfp.com. And if you buy three books, you'll get two extra ones free from the choice of the authors. Use the promo code Alan. It would seem that 42 million, 42 million Americans have um, are claiming unemployment, are unemployed now. How can this set um, a stable future for this reset ideal? Surely it just represents a smoke and mirrors talk shop so that this 1% can be seen to be doing something of worth in, a, in an open and transparent way to have your best interests at heart. But then Biden has been campaigning under slogans of the Great Reset, Build Back Better, for example. Uh, John Kerry, who is working under the Biden administration, has openly discussed the Great Reset. So, again, this makes it even more confusing. You have commentators from both sides screaming about the importance and the non-importance of the reset. But why all of a sudden is it getting so much traction? And that's kind of more what I'm trying to talk about. And that's because people are deranged. They've gone mad. They're looking for, um, they're being funneled into these cesspools of um, ideology because they're being locked down all the time, because they're taking in so much information every day. They have no outlet for it. They have no outlet for their energy. They have no, um, they've nothing else in their lives very often other than to be maneuvered into these, corralled into these pens of thought because that is what their lives are right now. And then you begin to try and it's not hard to put two and two together and get this four and think to yourself, wow, this it doesn't end because this lockdown or this forms of this benefit the people who are sitting in that room. And then, of course, you realize, you know, you can not you realize you, you connect dots and go, OK, well, the keynote speech speaker was from the CCP last year. And there's the Chinese social currency system, which is a real thing. Um, and couldn't our own leaders aspire to want that across the Western world? And then all of a sudden you fall into the, you know, the, the ravine of biometrics, health passports, which again are, are a thing. So you're connecting all these dots and it, it ends up making you feel outraged, insane, helpless, hopeless and kind of trapped. So inevitably, people end up being funneled into the furthest reaches of either side to either reject it outright or claim that 
you know, go go full lizard on it. Uh, but like I said, the truth is probably in the middle. But the mainstream media, the mainstream media, the mainstream media's unwillingness to maybe write um, critical articles about it or to scrutinize it a bit more is also dangerous. All sorts of dangerous ideas are, are, are lurking within it. Um, you know, this reckless push towards automation in the middle of a joblessness crisis is, is insane. The fact that so many people are losing their jobs. How has someone like how has someone like Bill Gates come to define our global health policy? These could be questions that could be asked of a mainstream media. But the problem is, of course, that um, very real objectives have now been blended with the furthest reaches of conspiracy theory on either side. So what's happened is, is that serious constructive analysis of what this represents in relation to the situation that we all find ourselves in our specific, you know, in, in, where, wherever it is that you're living, wherever you're from, um, a very specific analysis of, of what all of these things represents seems impossible because no one is willing to be associated with the with or being tarred with the brush of being a conspiracy theorist. So you're not going to read, for example, in our media here, a critical analysis of um, the implications of long term lockdown on in relation to civil liberties and freedoms and sovereignties generally because it's deemed as inhumane or nor are you going to read a big in-depth analysis of, for example, the Great Reset, where our own leaders have visited. Um, you're not going to read a really deep, deep, deep analysis of it in the mainstream media because it's so hard to grapple with and understand, but also because no, everyone is so afraid of being tarred with the brush of being connected to either the alt-right or QAnon or, um, you know, or anything like this. So... In this God of the gaps, which is a phrase meaning that, you know, we invented God to, to fill in the gaps of our understanding of science and technology, well, of science back in the day. In this sort of moral God of the gaps, this form of um, isolated outrage has filled in the gaps. And that is part of the problem, is that our ability throughout this whole situation, we are at the tail end of 10-year derangement cycle of social media which I think has destroyed our ability to um, err on the side of rationality and hold the middle ground. And then you just pour on top of that the last year where people have been asked to just stay inside and absorb way too much information, negative information, um, all of these theories. And it's hardly surprising that we have lost our ability to sense make. Because how can we? Because the very nature of um, our human process has been interrupted. The idea that humans as social animals could be just kept apart from each other, isolated through fear, anger, outrage, helplessness, hopelessness, and therefore not be expected to turn um, their attention, their anger, their outrage to theories such as this is nonsensical. Of course they were going to, but that makes it makes no sense to consider that they wouldn't. So the idea from one side that you can look down on people for being siphoned into um, going full on with this, thinking that this is um, the implementation of a global prison state whereby every movement is controlled and micromanaged. 
you could, it's hardly surprising people think that because there's an element of where we are that does look like that. But there also on the other side is an element that doesn't, that just feels like a fumbling in the dark of a broken um, system um, that's, that has implemented a botched response and is trying to do its best to fumble through that. And this is what really defines an awful lot of my podcasts or an awful lot of um, my thoughts about this and definitely this podcast. And that is the cognitive dissonance involved in living in the modern world, but also the idea that many different points of view, many different things can be true at the same time and they aren't mutually exclusive. And that's mind bending, trying to figure out the percentages of what is malign and what is benign because it's almost impossible to know from where we sit at the end of a screen. So that's the most confusing and complex thing is that everything right now looks like everything at the same time and it's brain breaking. And while we don't have any other distractions, even the distraction of this may sound banal, but the gym, keeping fit, playing sports, um, while we have no distractions of any kind, it's hardly surprising that people have been siphoned off to either side. Like I said, go and do a little bit of research yourself into, into Davos, into the Great Reset, into who the people are, who the people have gone there, and you will, you know, you will find it very easily. You, you know, analyze what you think of their own bright and breezy, uh, as I said, yoga website, which will tell you that you will be happy and own nothing. Um, it also states things like um, they want to go to Mars and some other really cryptic things like, you know, sort of insinuations that European values will be challenged. I don't sure know what that means quite. In fact, all of it is so ambiguous. So I don't know if that's really helped anyone, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, in fact, it's been really brain breaking to try and get my way through trying to understand this. I, like I said, I didn't want to make this a proper, absolutely in-depth um, analysis of all of the terms of these things. What I was trying to understand is more why we've been funneled off into our views of it and how the situation that we're in has manipulated that and that while we remain in this position, in this situation in society, things like this are only going to get worse. I mean, that's clear to me. You don't you don't make any inner peace with any of these resolutions while still basically under house arrest. That's not really how how it works as far as I can see. So I have very great worries for the next year that are way beyond my worries as a musician or an artist or anything like that. Um, but then again, I'm also, as I've said, willing to accept that it is just a fumbling in the dark through a health crisis and that in three months we pop out the other side and everybody can move back into the lives they once had. Now, as I said, and I've said many times before, I kind of fail to see that happening, but who knows? And that's the thing. The situation, the situation we're in looks like all things at the same time. I don't have the answers, my friends. I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band. I know that was a kind of unfocused ramble through some thoughts um, and that's just the way this January has been. I'll try and get into some more precise, concise episodes in the future. Um, but it's been it's been difficult. It's been difficult to keep on track. But I do have some cool guests coming up 
and that's going to be something more in the future. But like I said, um, just trying to hold the line, hold the line with sanity. Try and not fall down either side of the ravine. Try and prize rationality and debate and all of those things whenever you can. Um, because otherwise, we're pretty doomed if we're going to just always listen to the polarized voices from either side. That's it, isn't it, eh? So stay fit, stay strong, and don't let the bastards grind you down. Agitators of Anonymous, episode 41. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 